Boom. From the beginning. No, let me stop. <laughs> Just joking. All right, here we go. Let me say this statement again. Holiness is exclusive to the essence of God. Only God is entirely independent from evil. Only God sits entirely outside of what is common and ordinary. Again, my hope is that we can see how this will ultimately be of benefit to us. Only God sits outside of that, yet it can be beneficial for us. And I hope that that's what you get as we move along. Now, as we understand the meaning of these words, kadosh and hagios, being fully separated, fully independent from what is evil, outside of what is ordinary and what is common, I think we need to understand that, that, that second part of the definition, which is for the glory of God, right? So we, we cannot have, I cannot say, I cannot say, Hey, man, I'm holy because my, um, my professor set me apart to do this particular science project. And I know that seems kind of childish or maybe obvious, but I think we need to clarify this. That being set apart, that, that having a s- separateness is, in relation to holy, only for the glory of God. So you can't, can't say, man, I'm, I'm holy because I was set apart for this project, Right? If it's not for the glory of God, then it's, then it's not holy. And I'll expound on that. God, if truly God, must be a holy God for the purpose of his own glory. Right? So this definition applies even to God. And this is where it gets a little tricky, and this is where I kind of touched last week. God, if truly God, must be a holy God for the purpose of his own glory. Now... I got this big gigantic book that I bought when I was in school, so I'm going to use it. I paid a lot of money for it. Amen. And um, <laughs> this guy named Millard Erickson, he's a theologian. He's a guy that studies the Bible. I know theologian might scare people. Oh, that's puffed up knowledge. Well, this guy's sincere. His knowledge led to his practice. And I just want to share something that he says. He explains this much better than I do. He says, as the highest value in the universe, referring to God, the source from which all else derives or comes from, God must choose his own glory ahead of all else. To do anything else would, in effect, be a case of idolatry. If God is the, of, of, of highest value, then he has to be at the center of his own desires and affection. And I know I'm just repeating myself from what I said a couple weeks ago. But I think this is good in relation to God's holiness, to God's set-apartness. God needs to be at the center of his own affection and his own desires. Because if he's not, then he's committing idolatry or he's not God. Right? And, and let me explain idolatry. Idolatry is simply putting something at the center of your affections, your desires, your time, even your money, other than God. Because if you want to know what you worship, then all you have to do is answer the question, well, what do I spend most of my time doing? What do I give most of my money to? Where does all of my effort go? Where are my affections? And whatever the answer to those questions are, then that is your God and that is what you worship. But if I'm saying here that God is of highest value, 
that God is completely and independently separated from everything that is evil and that because of that he is of most worth, then he himself has to be at the center of his own affections and his own pursuit. That he has to be about his glory and his fame because he is God. And so, God's God's separateness, God's moral uniqueness makes his majesty, his fame, his worth so grand, so beautiful, so compelling, and so terrifying. Let me just kind of bring that back a bit. Because God is of ultimate worth, the fact that he's at the center, the fact that he's so set apart, the fact that he is entirely moral in essence because he's independent from what is evil, it makes, it makes him so attractive. It makes his majesty so grand. It makes his power so great. It makes him, it makes him so attractive because you're like, man, I am not like this. In fact, he's so unique, I've never even seen anything like this. And this is what Paul, excuse me, and this is what Isaiah, and this is what Peter experienced. Isaiah in the temple, and Peter with Jesus. That they both saw God for who he was, and they saw his majesty so grand, and they saw his power so great that it bowed them physically. And it it made them so attractive, but it also was terrifying for them, Because they saw themselves. And and they saw that they were nothing like this God. Right? That you may say, yeah, there's this is a pretty unique thought. Or this is a pretty unique idea. Or man, I've never seen anybody like this. Well, the Bible says that nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. That God is the only thing that is entirely, in essence, unique. That God's character, his essence is like none else. And so although it's grand and beautiful and compelling and attractive and it draws you to him, it should terrify us because we're not like him. Because we are nothing like him because we are nothing without him because he is everything. This is holiness in relation to God. That God's separateness is that. And that it causes those things to happen. What is God's holiness in relation to us? If you have your Bible, go to your Bibles, go to 1 Peter 1. We're going to read 13 through 22. And we're going to spend the rest of our time in this passage. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 13 through 25. If you got to say amen. amen. No, 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 I said amen. 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 You got a silly gooses. That's what I tell my son. All right, here we go. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 22. I had here 25, but I, I think it's better if we just concentrate on the little bit there. 
little time that we have. I'll start reading. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile or useless ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things or things that die, such as silver and gold, but the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. Through the living and abiding word. I'll just read up to 25. For all flesh is like grass and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. What does God's holiness mean in relation to us? Infinite, not holy people. Or limited people, rather. I just have three things. We're everything but holy by nature. Look at verse 14. Look at the second part of verse 14. It says, obedient, be obedient, excuse me, as obedient children. This is the part I want to emphasize. Do not be conformed. To the passions of your former ignorance. He's telling us to do something. Do not be conformed. It's an imperative. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, this letter, 1 Peter, has, I think it's about 80 to 90 imperatives. Meaning, things that he says, do. This is a command. And I'm saying it with urgency. Right? And this is one of them. Do not conform to the former, to the, with, uh, excuse me, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. We are not devoid of evil like God is. We are not independently, we are not independent from all evil. By nature, we're not. In fact, verse 14 tells us that our passions function out of ignorance, right? Keep looking at verse 14. Our passions function out of ignorance, not for the glory of God, who is the highest treasure. Right? 
That by nature our passions come out of us because we're ignorant. And that they sustain themselves out of ignorance, not for the glory of God, who is our highest treasure. Our actions were driven by passions opposite of soul-remindedness. If you go back to verse 13. Our actions are driven by passions opposite of sober-mindedness, opposite of graciousness, opposite of selflessness. That's, that's what we function out of by nature. That's what we run to. Right? And some of, y'all, some of y'all might be sitting there and saying, well, I think, I'm, I think I'm a good person. And I would say, yes, by the grace of God, you are a good person. By the grace of God, you can give to charity. By the grace of God, you help an old, an old lady across the street. By the grace of God, you do good things and can think good things. The question I would ask is, are you good? Are you good because of the glory of God in your life? And are you good for the glory of God? And I think the answer to that will define or will we'll reveal to you and expose to you if you think your goodness comes from you or if it comes from somewhere else. Do you do good because of the glory of God that's in your life and revealed to you? Or do you do good for the glory of God? We are not devoid of evil. This is not our nature. And I think verses 13 and 14 tell us that. Just by implication, saying former, meaning this is what we used to do. Second thing about holiness in relation to us is that there is hope for us to be holy. Earlier I said that holiness is exclusive to God's essence. Holiness is God. And I said that earlier. It seemed as if, it would, as if we would never have the hope to be holy ourselves. That we would never have the hope of being set apart. And that we would only remain under the consequence of our sin and our rebellion, which is death. Right? That there is a consequence for our rebellion towards God. That there is a consequence to our disobedience to God. And that when I said earlier that holiness is exclusive to God, it almost seemed like there was no hope for us to get out of that condemnation, to get out of that wrath that was coming our way because of our own rebellion. But let's look at verse 14 again. He uses the word former there. As obedient children, do not, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Meaning, there is a way for us to remove our old way. That there is an option that we can remove our old way of being and replacing it with passions that pursue the highest value. Right? That God is of ultimate worth. And because by nature we don't pursue that, there is a way by virtue of verse 14 telling us, that using that word former there, that there is an option for us to pursue that holiness, pursue that being set apartness, if I could. That there is an option for that. Now the question that remains is how and what is the way that we can become holy? Because verse 14 is telling us that it's an option. We can be holy. Verses 17 through 19. Let's read those, and I'll pull from there to answer the question, how can we become holy? And if you call on him 
And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, meaning mankind, our nature, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. How, how can we achieve holiness? How can we become holy now that we know that there is hope for us to be set apart? There's three things that I think come from that, that passage, 17, 17 through 19. If you call on him, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lay out three phrases that I think help us to understand how we become, become holy. If you call him is the first phrase. If you call him, Father, is the rest of that sentence. Conduct yourselves with fear, knowing that you were ransomed. And then the last phrase is the precious blood of Christ. Calling, knowing, and the precious blood of Christ are the three things I want to emphasize from 17 through 19 that I think will help us understand how we can become holy. Because of God's gracious gift, right? If you look at that first one, calling on him. I don't mean calling like picking up the phone. We, we understand that this calling means a surrender, an acknowledgement that he is father, which requires faith, right? I call Andy my friend. Because we have a history, we are intimate, we dialogue, we challenge, we argue, there's conflict, there's growth. I call him friend. This is what this calling means here. If you call him father, the implications to that are endless. To call someone father means that there is this kind of relationship like father, like son, like father, like daughter. If you call him father... And the second thing he says is, conduct yourselves with fear. Again, another imperative. Conduct yourselves, behave this way, with fear. How? Knowing that you were ransomed. Conduct yourself this way and use the fact that you were ransomed as a source to conduct that way. What was the ransom? It's the last phrase. The precious, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm really excited as we approach, right? I, I, it, was, it was really all providential, meaning God knew what he was doing and I had no clue. That I'm talking about his holiness. We're about to enter Holy Week. And we're going to talk about his crucifixion and then we're going to talk about his resurrection on Sunday. And I was just telling Anna the other day that I'm really excited to talk about Jesus' resurrection. Right? What is the ransom that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you, for me, and he did it while he was in our sin so that we can have the opportunity to conduct ourselves with fear? Because of God's gracious gift to us in Jesus and because Jesus is God and because God is holy, God makes his holiness available to us if we respond by calling him father, knowing that our old passion, not for the glory of God, but for everything else, 
was put to death and rendered useless in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Let me say that again. And the the emphasis of what I'm saying is in verse 18. So you can look at it as you listen. Because of God's gracious gift to us in Jesus, and because Jesus is God, as we discussed back in Christmas, and because God is holy, as we're discussing now, God makes his holiness available to us if we respond by calling him father, knowing that our old passions were put to death and rendered or made useless when Jesus died in it, was buried in it, and then resurrected over it. Right? This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, that Jesus, who was holy, who was the perfect imprint of God the Father, came into the world, and he lived a holy life, meaning a a, a uniquely moral life, a perfectly moral life, doing exactly what the Father says, because that's in an essence what holiness is, to, to find yourself aligned with what God wants. Right? It's not going to church, it's not doing good things, it's to find yourself aligned with doing what God wants, and what God wants is His glory. Right? 2 Corinthians 2.5 says that Jesus came, lived perfectly, but when he went to the cross, he became our sin. He became something dark. Right? Think about your, think about your worst sin, if you want to think of them in levels. Think about your worst sin, and then think about the rest of your sin, and then think about the ones you can't think about. And then think about everyone else's sin. And that's what Jesus became. And then think about the sins that happened 2,000 years before you. And then think about the sins that will happen 2,000 years after you. That Jesus, that, that God took what was sin, evil, past, present, and future, what we can't even anticipate. And he balled it up and he put it on Jesus. And this is why, this is why John 3, 14 and 15, the two verses that we forget You know, before the the famous one, John 3.16, where it says that just like Moses lifted the serpent on a stick, so the Son of Man shall be lifted up. But why would Jesus compare himself to a serpent? What do we think about when we say serpent according to the Bible? We think evil. We think of Satan. We think back at the Garden of Eve. Something that is dark. Something that is only evil. Something that is not like God. Yet... Jesus is comparing himself to that. Why? Because on the cross, he became our sin. Your rebellion, your depression, your disobedience, your addiction, your abusing. He became all of that on the cross so that you could see publicly that he was going to put it to open shame. Kill it. Destroy it on the cross. Bury it under the, under the earth, right? When he was buried symbolically. That he would take it back to where it came from and then resurrect over it, showing that in Jesus is the victory. Right. So this is the picture we get in the in the crucifixion, burial and resurrection. Not just a gory story. Oh, why they have to do that to Jesus? No. Thank you, Jesus, because now I can say that my sin has no dominion over me because you killed it. And I don't have to say, man, I just can't stop. Smoking weed or man, I just can't stop having sex out of marriage. 
and say, man, this sin is defeating me. No, you're in disobedience because if you turn to Jesus and if you believe in what he's done, you too can have dominion over your sin. And this is the picture that he's giving us. This is the picture that, that, that Peter is portraying to us when it comes to God's holiness. That yes, it's available to you. You too can be separate and devoid from evil. You too can find yourself morally well. You too can find yourself morally whole. Or at least in pursuance, in pursuit of it. Pursuance. Or at least in pursuit of it. That this is what God is offering through Jesus. Not through what you can do, not through how much you go to church, not through how much you can read your Bible. Although if you read it sincerely and genuinely, God will reveal this to you anyway. But because of what Jesus has already done, you can attain holiness. Last thing about holiness in relation to us. We can live holy as God is holy in patches. This is what I have. I'll explain that, that last part. We can live holy as God is holy in patches. Right? When I first introduced God, holiness in relation to God, I said that he is entirely and uniquely devoid of sin. He's not just devoid of sin sometimes. No, he's devoid of evil sin all the time. In fact, Micah says that he can't even look at evil, which is what makes the cross so much more significant. That's why it was dark, because God turned his face from his son, because he couldn't, he couldn't stand to look at the sin that was consuming his son. But he knew the end of the story. He knew that it would bring us freedom. He knew that it would take, it would take us out of the slavery of sin. God is entirely holy and uniquely holy. And we can be like that in patches as a process. And let me explain what I mean by that. There are several passages in the Bible that tell us that holiness for us is a process that will be completed in the end by Jesus. Right? I'm not saying here that we can be completely holy while we're here on earth. Right? That's something called entire sanctification. That we don't believe in. I can't be holy as God is holy while I'm here in this earth. But I can be in pursuit of it and God will, 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 will in steps or in, in a process take us to that. And the Bible confirms to us that Jesus, because of what he did, will bring it to conclusion. That he will make us holy as God is holy. Look at verses 13, 14, 15. Of what, of what we're reading. All of those tell us to do something towards our holiness. Verse 13, 14, 15, all tell us to do something toward our holiness. To prepare our minds for action, verse 13. To be obedient, verse 14. To conduct ourselves in a particular way that would be pleasing to God, verse 15. And then 17 says the same thing. Conduct yourselves. Prepare your minds. Another imperative. Be obedient. Another imperative. Conduct yourselves. Another imperative. Telling us something. 
Do something toward your holiness. Is what these verses are telling us. My question is, what is the source of our doing? What is the source of our obedience? What is the source of our actions toward our own holiness? Right? What is the source of that? Right? Because we can easily get confused and say, oh, well, I'm holy because of what I'm doing. This is me. It's my source. I'm holy because I read my Bible and I'm holy because I go to church. I'm holy because I serve. I'm holy because X, Y, Z. So the question is, what is the source of your doing? What is the source of your actions? What is the source of your obedience? By God's grace, hopefully I can answer this question for you. The source of our doing, obedience, and action toward holiness is Jesus' doing. It's Jesus' actions and it's Jesus' obedience to the Father to die on the cross in our place for our sin and resurrecting over them, which then empowers us with the Holy Spirit by faith. I'll repeat it again and I'll try to explain it a bit better. The source of our doing, the source of our obedience, the source of our action toward holiness is Jesus' doing. What Jesus did on the cross or what Jesus has finished on the cross was Jesus' actions while he was living. That he lived perfectly the way God intended for us to live. It was Jesus' obedience to the Father saying, I don't want to die like this. I don't want us to achieve holiness for them like this. Is there another way? Let's do that. But you know what? Not my will, your will. It was that obedience that we saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed. It was his obedience to die on the cross for the very sin of not being obedient from, uh, from us. And by him dying in that sin, being buried in it, and then resurrecting over, over it, and then ultimately ascending, giving us the gift of his Holy Spirit that empowers us to do, to act, to obey. What is the source? I think is the best question you can ask yourself. So if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, and you would say that you're not a Christian, honestly, sincerely, according to what we've shared, my challenge is that you know this Jesus, right? That we can try to put ourselves in a trajectory to do, to do, to do, but are we doing it for the glory of God or for the glory of self? Are we doing it to say that, man, this is what I've done? The source of strength, energy, and effort comes from me to give money, to go to church. Or is the source what Jesus already did, that His grace is made available to us, that His holiness is made available to us because of what Jesus did and the power that He gives for you to say no to sin and to be obedient, to prepare your minds for action. Right? And when He says that, if you read... If you read the passage in context, 
doing the good deed that God, the good deeds that God wants us to do. To be obedient, to conduct yourselves in a way that's fearful of what God is while we're still living here. That that is a process. And I don't want to scare you. We will fall. We do sin. This earth is still falling. We have to deal with those things. But God gives us, through Jesus, the opportunity to be more like him. To be more, to, 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 to be more obedient to the will that is to give himself glory. Because he is what we ultimately need. So I'll just close with this challenge for you guys. It comes from a guy named Wayne Grudem. And he kind of gives a little um, encouragement slash definition of holiness in relation to us. He says, the author of Hebrews tells us that God disciplines his children so that they may share in his holiness. Hebrews 12.10. As we are being made holy individually and as members of the church, God's people, we anticipate the day when all things in heaven and on earth will be separated, will be separated from evil purified from sin, and devoted solely to seeking God's honor with true moral purity. God has made a way for us to be separated from evil, purified from sin, and devoted to seeing His glory, and enjoying it, and savoring it, and living off of it. And the way he's provided that is through Jesus, his son. That is the gospel offered to you. That is the the gospel offered to me. Not by my strength, but by the spirit. Not by my strength and my abilities, but by what Jesus did. The strength that he displayed. The love that he demonstrated. And if you're sitting in here and you don't know this Jesus... I want to invite you to know him. You know, we've been doing this for eight months. And every time we try to do a good job at making the gospel clear by God's grace. You know, and this is God's holiness, man. I pray, I really do pray that you see the grandeur of God's holiness. That you would see yourself and you would see how much you lack. But not so that you can weep and you can wallow in your life but so that you would see that not only are you so separated from God but you are still yet so loved by him that he sent his son so that you can have an opportunity to know him and become and begin the process of being like him through Jesus through the empowering empowering of his spirit so if you don't know Jesus I would invite you to know him like I said we've been doing this for months and we Try to invite people to come up. We can pray for you. Um, we got Sequoia. Who are our Holy Communion uh, brothers? Josh and Sequoia. Josh and Will. So we got Dave in the back who will be there for prayer. 
what we're calling our people to is to respond to this gospel message, man. I'm not trying to make you feel like dirt. Or yeah, I am trying to make you feel like dirt. But I, I'm also making you feel like dirt so that you know that there is still hope. I, I want to make you feel like dirt so that you see the urgency of wanting to run to Jesus. Right? So if you're in here and you feel like dirt, know that there is opportunity for you to run to Jesus. And that he is here, that he is our God, that he is available, and that he makes himself available. That he makes his holiness available to you. So if you're here and you want to know this Jesus like this, David and Helen D are in the back. And please, we say this often, we say this every service, but they are there for, to pray for you. We want you to know Jesus. And we want you to have a relationship with Jesus. And we want you to anchor your good deeds on what Jesus has already done for you. So that you never run the risk of boasting in yourself, but that you always boast in the grace shown to you through Jesus. Halidi, Dave, in the back, for anyone that wants prayer and wants to receive this Jesus. And for my Christians, they're there to pray for you also. And after the service, I'm here to pray for you. This sermon is heavy on my heart, man. We're nothing like Jesus, yet he makes an opportunity for us to be like him through his son, Jesus. For those that are here and are Christians, and you want prayer, like I said, you can go to the back. You can see any, any one of us for prayer. Um, and so we also want to give an opportunity for people to respond uh, to this message, not only by asking for prayer and saying you want this Jesus, but for those that feel the conviction, man, this is my Jesus. This is my Savior. I'm so glad that he's pouring into me. I'm so glad that he's given himself for me. I want to do the same for, for him and for his people. So this is where we call people to be generous with their money, right? For the, for the advancement of the gospel. So that more people can hear about this Jesus, so that more people can meet him, and so that more people can be convicted of their sin, so that more people feel like dirtbags, so that more people run to Jesus and be made whole. There's envelopes in each and every one of your chairs. Uh, if you're a visitor here, we want you to really write your name and info down. We want to know you more. We want to call you. We want to be loving towards you. We want to invite you to the things that we do. We don't just do church services and church Bible studies. We hang out. We go get food together. We go play ball together. We make silly videos and put them on YouTube and say that we're part of a church, CCF. We make songs about Tropicana juices. That's just what we do. So we want to invite you guys to those things, right? So if you're here and you're a visitor, please put your information on that index card. Don't feel obligated to give money if you're a visitor. If you are a family member of CCF, put your money in that envelope and put it in this basket and trust that it will be for the advancing of the kingdom of God. So you guys already know the drill. You know how we do this. Uh, I am